I'm David Manilow, and welcome to The Dining Table. On the table this week, the Michelin stars were released 21 in all for Chicago. The big story, Smith was elevated from two stars to three stars, the highest honor, joining Alinea as Chicago's only three-star restaurants. However, a new restaurant in Chicago is also gaining national acclaim. The New York Times listed them as one of their most exciting restaurants of 2023, and just this week, Eater's national publication named them as Chicago's only top new restaurant of the year. I'll talk to the chef and owner of Fat Two. But when Vinod first cooked, egg curry, crab curry, and eggplant, eating all of these with our hands, I like, fell hard in love with the food and Vinod, like, at that moment. That's coming up next on The Dining Table. I'm joined now by Chef Margaret Pack and her partner and husband, Vinod Kalathil, of the restaurant Thatu in Avondale. It's so great to have both of you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So Thatu is kind of Indian coastal cuisine of Kerala. And I think it's interesting about how you guys met, from what I understand. So you, you're neither one of you from Las Vegas, but you're both in Vegas. And Chef, you're at like a Tori Amos concert, <laughs> which I totally I appreciate anyone who travels for music. And you're like listening to Precious Things and Cornflake Girl of Tony or Tori Amos or some of her things. And the two of you meet. Neither one of you are in the food business. So what was the what was the spark that got both of you to go down this journey of cooking and hospitality? This journey, it's been, how do you say, an adventure year by year. I mean, we met over 20 years ago and we dated long distance. And one of the first times I got to visit Venona, I was living in California at the time, Venona, Connecticut. So after dating long distance a few months, Venona cooked for me. Mm. And... I knew he was from Kerala. I knew this cuisine was different, but I was like, wow, as I'm dating this guy, A, he can cook. And B, I thought I had experienced Indian cuisine because I was working in finance. I had a lot of uh, uh, Indian coworkers and colleagues who had cooked for me and I would go out. But when Vinod first cooked egg curry, crab curry and eggplant and eating all of these with our hands, I like fell hard in love with the food and Vinod like at that moment. And that was very like life changing, honestly. (laughs) And that was 20 years ago. But as far as like going down the path of like opening a restaurant and the food industry, that didn't transpire until like maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, that uh, that was a very long time. And we would actually have like a lot of uh, dinner parties at home where we would cook for friends. We had a rooftop party where we had a major barbecue and everybody was like, you guys should do a restaurant or something. <laughs> we were like, no, we're never going to do that. <laughs> but uh, eventually Margaret went that way and I'm, I followed. <laughs> but it's amazing. You know, I think about this. I hear stories like this sometimes. It's a lot of times people like in finance, you know, that they, they're doing well, but there's some yearning or, you know, inside that they just want to do something different and cooking has a special thing you very rarely hear it the other way around successful restaurateurs very rarely oh no i'm going to become an accountant after i've done it right but there's some (laughs) there's some passion and so this is southern indian 
explain the difference between Southern Indian and, and some of the other Indian cuisines. So I would like to take an even smaller step. This is Southwestern Indian. Okay. Northern Indian has got a lot of uh, influences are very highly Persian. So the Mughal cuisine. So it, most of the things that you see, you see a lot of dairy, a lot of cream being used. All of that really came from the, the Persian influences. What you see as Indian cuisine in most places is Punjabi cuisine. And that's uh, the border cuisine uh, close to Pakistan. And it's phenomenal food that's very different from when you go towards the south, it becomes a lot of spices, a lot of uh, southeast is going to be very vegetarian. Southeast, I would say, is a little bit more spicier, a lot of rice, a lot of lentils. When you come to southwest in Kerala and Goa, this is where there's a lot of like, Portuguese and Arabic uh, cuisine kind of coming together there also. Uh, Kerala, a huge pop part of the population is Syrian Catholic and the Greek Orthodox. And in the North, we have a lot of Muslim and a lot of Hindus and atheists also. So it's kind of like a melting pot. And <laughs> I grew up eating beef fry almost every single day, which is banned in almost all of India. Wow. Southwestern cuisine is really one thing that you'll find is a lot of coconut. Yeah, I saw the, I saw several coconut influences in your dishes too. Yeah, and you'll see a lot of things like coconut, yucca, plantains, the things that you see in like uh, Caribbean areas because it's coastal and that's kind of like a similar ingredients. And also that Kerala is where black pepper and cardamom originated. Yeah, interesting. Um, that, that's where the five fruit was. So you'll find a lot of aromatics there. Did a lot of these dishes originate from your mom's recipes? Some. Uh, yeah, influenced. Uh, like, I mean, I would say the one, like, the mussels fry that we eat, just pan mm, yeah. fry. That's really something that I grew up eating. My mom used to make all the time. So it's based on that. A lot of our dishes are focus on Northern Kerala because that's where I'm from. It's interesting too, because that's what I know mm -hmm. when we travel and go back home, like we eat at home, like 90% of the time. So when I think Kerala cuisine, of course, coconut and, and curry leaves, mm -hmm. like curry leaves are it's, it just about everything. Uh, but I would say that like now learning all the nuances within Kerala. Mm -hmm. When you say go back home, you're not from Kerala or India. You're a California <laughs> girl. You're, you're not of Indian descent. So what was that like when you started learning and cooking this type of cuisine? Honestly, I only started cooking it about like eight, nine years ago. I was truly eating it through Finodes and his mom on all those trips. I would just watch and just be in awe and at first be in some ways overwhelmed, just like, what is all of this? When we got married, that was my first time going home to India. First time meeting Vinod's family. First time eating all the food with my hands in the presence of like the whole family. So that was just an amazing experience. We had a sadhya like on a banana leaf with all of these vegetarian side dishes. And I just didn't know what I was eating at the time, but I just literally just kept trying like each every dish. And I guess to the point, um, as I was trying like unripe plantains, stir fries, all these dishes that we cook now, 
And I think back, I was like, I don't know what I'm eating, but these are all such beautiful textures and just eating rice in so many different forms. I think that was one of the first things though, just being Korean as a rice lover. I was okay. like, oh my gosh, I don't understand appam, but this pillow, crispy, beautiful crepe that I'm eating, it's like, holy crap, this is like so different from what I ever experienced, but I love it. I don't get it, but I love it. It's, I think that was like the ongoing theme when I first, like almost a year of eating, going back to Kerala. Yeah. Eating all that food. And Vinod is an excellent home cook. He would cook for us at home. And one of those dishes was his bachelor chicken mm -hmm. that he learned how to cook out of necessity from moving to the U.S. And so, like, if that's a recipe that his mom gave to him, Vinod evolved, made it at home, or now in Chicago. So he'd cook it. I was like, ooh, I love it, too. So I'd, like, started making some changes to it. <laughs> and that led to one of our very first curries at our food stall. When we opened in 2019, I was like, ooh, ooh, what if we can look a little sweeter and just add like some roasted cashews to it, and, like grind it to like a, a cashew butter. And that turned into what we call our coriander chicken curry. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I think, was that our, our top seller? Yeah. Food stall? Yeah. yeah. When you opened the food stall, what was that like? Just the evolution of that. You're, you're talking about like, you're like, probably tweaking dishes or whatever, but you're doing it for the first time and you're seeing reactions from people and it's working and then you get a James Beard nod, right? Nomination and the whole thing. And I know then you end up doing pop-ups and the pop-ups lead to, you know, um, Guild Row and then where you are right down the street in, in Avondale on Rockwell. I always wonder what that's like, like when people are kind of like, you know, do you get chills thinking back about it? Where like things where people are coming up and saying, oh, I love this or what, what was that like? I think we are still fighting a little imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should back up for a second too, because two years before I opened the food stall, I started as a prep cook. And even backing up for a bit, I was working in like corporate for like 12 plus years. And that didn't, I, I switched careers and I was like, I, I knew I wanted to get into food. And I started food sales. I was in food sales for a small boutique firm. And that was really fun. And that gave me the chance to uh, meet a lot of chefs, also just explore Chicago and also learn how to quote Instagram. But I guess to the point is like how to connect and like meet, meet multiple chefs. And one that I kept coming back to was Juan Kim at Kimsky. And so I made a list of all these restaurants I wanted to go, like, just talk to, talk about getting into the industry. And in talking to him, it ended up turning into a stage, and I started just, like, working for a day. But the whole point is, it's like, I just fell into it. I just start. I prepped for a couple of years, and I became a prep cook. And I loved it, learned how to cook in a restaurant setting. And uh, while I was doing that... Um, Juan Kim was so supportive. He was like, hey, do you want to do, like, do a family special for a family meal? So I made egg curry. And egg curry is one of those first dishes that I learned from Vinod and often make just like in a hurry. But, but point being, like the staff meal was like, hey, Margaret, do you want to do some pop-ups? And so one pop-up led to three more pop-ups at Kimsky. And then Saigon Sisters, Mary Aragoni, she had come to one of those. And so like three pop-ups, like I had tested that 
the coriander chicken recipe, tested out the egg curry, I've tested out all these little like things that I've learned along the way. And through those pop-ups, the opportunity came to go try out for this food hall. And I'd never done a tasting before. I was like, uh, what do I do? Sorry, I'm this is kind of a long story, but I show up at this tasting. It's like, okay, I'm going to make goat stew, egg curry, bomb, all these dishes that I've tried and loved. And to the point during those pop-ups, I'm like, who are these people? Because like, they were my friends, but over time, it's like other people. <laughs> and so then when it came time to open up the food stall in May 2019, I was like, Vinod, I thought I could do this alone, but I'm going to need your help. And so he quit his, or he left his job, quit his job two weeks before he opened. And in May of 2019, that's when that adventure started. <laughs> that's crazy. You know, I was thinking about this as you were talking about it. If you go back 25 years, there is no kind of like process like this where you could do a pop-up and then you could go to a food stall. And then, I mean, so people that are great cooks at home end up being great cooks at home. Because they either have to dive in, work work at a restaurant, work at a bunch of kitchens, whatever. And I know uh, you work with one former Czech police guest, by the way. Um, but uh, <laughs> I want to I want to pivot for a second, and I'll talk to Vinod a little bit. So my wife and I went for lunch. I ordered the um, fish, the fried fish, and I could tell as soon as that fish came out. I think it was catfish that day. I could see as soon as it like it came out, even by the way it was plated. I could say, oh, you know, these people just know what they're doing. You could just tell. And it was it was a, a lovely dish and it was easy and it was all that stuff. Um, it, but but it, like I'm kind of like a feeling person. Like if I can, I've gone to enough places, I could just look at that and go like, oh, yeah, and they, they, they just know what they're doing. And it was great. It was light. But the thing I want to talk to you about a little bit is your lunch is almost a little DIY in the sense that you know, you go and get your own water, you get your utensils. It's very, very casual. Did you do that in part because there's just a kind of service changed by necessity because labor costs and things like that? What? How did that come about? And I know, and I, we'll talk about dinner in a little bit, and I know dinner is a little bit more formal, but how, that, how did that come about? So part of it was also we did the build art in the middle of pandemic. We didn't know where the restaurant industry is going. And we are seeing all of these different changes where people have to pivot almost like on a monthly basis. Okay, change this, change that. So um, we said the way we build up the restaurant, we should be able to switch the modes very quickly and do things in a different way. Things have changed. We're, we're going to have to be able to change. So we didn't pack the place in. First of all, we could have had way more tables and chairs in there. We said, let's not do that. Let's have only like 45 seats in there in such a huge space. Um, let's keep some space aside for um, maybe having a store eventually where we can have packaged food also so that we can easily pivot also. And for lunch, our original plan was, it is going to be purely counter service for lunch. Let's make it easy for people to pick up, right? We didn't know it was in a little corner where there's nothing else, right? For, for sure. <laughs> so we're like, we don't know how much traffic we're going to get. Let's do counter service. It's going to be easy for people to pick up and we're going to sit and eat there. Let them sit and eat there or they can take it to go. 
and day one we got slammed. So we realized immediately that like, wow, people coming up to the counter and ordering is so disruptive for everyone. Within a week, we put QR codes on the tables and we said like, it's very similar like counter service. Let's just have people order at their tables and um, we don't need to make a huge adjustment to how we started. It's just a take, take out the biggest friction point. And if they want to add an extra drink, they don't need to come out to the counter to order it. And they can keep their tabs open. And that really worked out well. And we had started off with only lunch. And then we went to dinner service. We said like, well, why don't we extend that concept? Uh, we went and checked out a couple of other restaurants. And we extended that to dinner. But at the same time, we have more servers. And we go and explain the menu to people. We just take that one friction point of uh, of taking orders and people having to go back to the table and taking orders. That goes away. If someone wants to place order with us, we still do that. Right. And you have a QR code at dinner. And is it fairly intuitive for people? How's that being received? I would say 95% of the customers, absolutely, they are like, they actually like it better. They are like, okay. We don't have to sit and wait for someone to come. And that a lot of times, especially with the, with the fact that uh, number of services on almost every restaurant has gone down. And to find someone to talk to becomes more difficult. Now our servers actually get more time to talk to people because they're not taking orders. Right, right. When I was there, it was, it was very easygoing, but there's somebody there to answer your questions and it's very natural. And I do think that is the future because I, I just did actually podcast last week about uh, a place that does counter service or does counter ordering that I actually think will change to more of your model uh, and do it at the table. But, you know, it's not my restaurant. Um, and then I did I went to another restaurant where the guy, the server was so slammed, you couldn't even track him down. You couldn't even get an extra water, and and they were both you know trying their best, but it's a, it's an interesting model. Speaking of models, and I know you guys have been quoted on this a little bit. You don't do uh, tipping. Yep. So that's another. I was just going to say, <laughs> part of the other thing is also, and a, a, a server is not assigned to a table, so it is group. So what we have trained our servers is like, you guys in, should do should be ready to do anything and everything from busing the table to to do everything and you don't own a table so just keep your eyes and ears open and make sure that people are getting what they want right when we started off we were like this whole tipping thing creates a little bit friction between the team also it becomes competitive it pits everybody against each other it also creates bad behavior with the customers also. It's just one more friction point. Let's take that whole thing away. <laughs> My background, I am a computer science engineer who turned into an auditor. So I have a CPA too. So I did all of these cost calculations and I was like, this is how we're going to run the place. And let's try this model. We talked to others and people are like, in Chicago, I don't think it's going to work. But with we're like, let's try this. So we we priced everything a little higher than I, I would say pretty much every single Indian restaurant that you see. Right. We also think that Asian food is undervalued. 
So that's another reason why we didn't want to undervalue your food. We put a lot of effort in, into it. Yeah, I, I think it's great. And I've, I've, uh, I was lucky enough to be in Europe twice this summer on separate trips. And it's either, there's no tipping, you know, some have a, a, a small, London has a, you know, a service fee and you can throw a few pounds on if you want. But I'm just a believer as a, as a customer, I, I don't want to, I don't want to spend a huge amount of time trying to figure out, wait, so there's this service fee and then there's, and a, do I tip on top of that? And I'm telling you, there's so much, and now there's a credit card fee. Just put it in your prices and let everybody get along. And I'm not trying to disrupt the entire tipping ecosystem, but it is kind of nice. We might actually add, like, like you know, we will change the, the the plan is to change the messaging saying, like, you know, we don't expect tips, but uh, we want to give people an opportunity. If you want to, just you can leave something. Um, but that's like a tiny thing. We want to make sure that everybody gives that message out uh, because now with the Chicago ordinance, we are going to, the the whole thing is going to be become more of a level playing ground over the next four, four or five years. So I don't want our, our servers to lose out on that. I think you're ahead of the game, personally. So you've gotten all kinds of accolades, food and wine, James Beard. Um, I think more to come. And um, it's, a, it's a really nice experience. And congratulations. I do have a question for you before you leave. I don't know if you've had a chance to think about that. But do you have a favorite restaurant that you go to uh, that inspires you in some way? Or it's just your go-to place? Ooh, I would say Boonies. Ah, another new spot. Yeah. Another new spot. Yes. And uh, we recently moved closer to be closer to the restaurant. And soon after, Boonies opened. And um, I love the fact that it's truly uh, uh, Chef Joe and, and Joyce um, doing home cooked Filipino cuisine. And Finode, that was one of the few times that Finode and I had like, gone out together to eat. <laughs> right. I can imagine. And I think what I love, not just like, but, um, we had this beautiful strip. Chef Joe changes up his menu, but the sisig, the sizzling pork. Okay. You get up and with the egg and it's like folded it out of a sizzling plate. That is freaking delicious. <laughs> well, someone is known for your pork chop. I think that's, uh, <laughs> that, that is something that I, I will definitely have to try. Um, uh, Hey, listen, uh, Margaret Vinod, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Like I said, uh, I had a memorable lunch there. I'm looking forward to going back for dinner and uh, continued success. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's our show this week. I'd like to thank the owners and chef of Thatu, Margaret Pak and Vinod Kalathil, and also Todd Manley from Crane's Audio Studios. You can follow me, David Manilow, at Eat Drink Dave on Instagram. And I hope to see you around the table again next week. <laughs>